0: Are you ready? Hey, everybody! Hey, Pop! Hello, everybody! People in the back! Welcome, everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Welcome, everybody! Welcome
1: to the inner loop! Without further ado! Without further ado! Okay, so without further
0: ado, we're gonna get started. We should get started. We're yeah! Working. I'm we we're, we're gonna get started! <laughs> Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio. I'm Rachel Koontz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. And thank you for joining us for our very first episode. Uh, We have an exciting hour of local literature
1: planned for you. But first, Courtney, what is the Inner Loop? Well, (laughs) the Inner Loop is a literary reading series for writers in the Washington, D.C. metro area and a little bit beyond. Um, And each month, local writers come and read their own work. Their experience varies from the absolute beginner to Pulitzer Prize winners.
0: And every month we have a featured writer who has accomplished a lot in the field. Um, and that writer kicks off the event with a, an extended reading. And then they stick around to chat with local talent to talk about um, inspiration and any insight they have on the writing life, getting published, um, everything like that.
1: We share a lot of drinks, too. Then that featured reader is followed by nine other local readers who are chosen by submission. And each of those writers read for about five minutes. We try to really mix it up and have three readers from each genre of poetry, fiction, and creative nonfiction. Sometimes we have playwriting in there.
0: Yeah, we do try to include everyone. Um, And they read... Much shorter um, excerpts from their writing, um, about five minutes each, because um, rather than having the authors tell a full story, uh, the goal of the Inner Loop is to give the audience a feel for the writer's voice and to leave the audience wanting more, um, so that ideally they pursue those writers um, and recognize their names if they ever come up. And that's exactly what we're going to try to do here on the Inner Loop Radio to give you a taste of what we're all about so that you will seek out these authors.
1: Yeah, and you know, if you miss a live event, you can come hear us here and hear (laughs) them here. Um, So we want to help you, the audience, discover and get to know the writers that are living and working all around you. And I actually had no idea how
0: many writers there were in the DC area when I first uh, moved back here from graduate school. Um, Courtney and I both lived here before we went to graduate school in New York. And when we moved back, I was kind of thinking, where are all the writers? Um, where's all the literary events that you know, were happening in New York? Um, but I, I didn't know, they were, the authors were here. I just didn't know how to access
1: them. Yeah, you can't see me, but I'm shaking my head in agreement. <laughs> we were kind of at a loss and you know, it really, for, for a lot of us, um, you know, writing is a solitary <laughs> endeavor. <laughs> um and so it really really helps to have a community of people who you trust and know to share stuff with or to you know even just say hey i'm ha- i'm struggling here um have you faced any of these problems and just to have people to talk to you. and so we were definitely missing that and it's been amazing to find all of those people there are so yeah, many they- talented
0: writers <laughs> <laughs> they just started sprouting up everywhere um we've been going for over 2 years now and we have met so many writers. Yeah, this was
1: our third season, actually. Yeah.
0: And we have like 10 writers per event. So do the math. It's like hundreds I of writers. I can't do math. I'm a writer, remember? <laughs> we'll just say a lot. Right. A lot of writers we've met. Um, and it's amazing. The the support that we've gotten from the local writers has been
1: unbelievable and it's been a real um delight to meet everyone absolutely and and many of our featured readers are folks who teach at the local universities um and they then share it with their communities and their students and they have been so so supportive they you know We are a (laughs) non-non-non-profit and uh, they've been incredible about donating their time and advice. Right, (laughs) Um,
0: so basically the goal of the Inner Loop is to create a community for writers to find each other. Um, Any writers who come to the area, any students um, of MFA programs in the area, which there are many MFA programs, um, six or seven, I don't know, probably more, um, students, writers who just are professional writers and didn't get an MFA, all these people we want to bring together. There are lots of uh, lawyers turned writers here in D.C. So many. <laughs>
1: it's a creative outlet, I and guess. They, and they write the best <laughs> it's stories. It's so
0: good. Um, the, we had one writer, um, Mike Madden, who, did yes. a, who does like noir. Horror. It's
1: so good. <laughs> Courtroom noir. Exactly. <laughs> it's awesome awesome um some of our our writers do come back we try to space it out of course our repeat so that we can have as many voices heard as possible but we certainly do encourage folks to come back and read with us again if it's been you know six months or so and so it is a joy to hear those voices again and see how they've progressed or you know what new
0: stuff they have exactly And in addition to the events, um, we have been branching out and doing a lot more um, creating, trying to create more community by reaching out, collaborating, such as with Tacoma Radio. Yes. um, And starting this radio show with them, as
1: well as. Yeah, we were super excited about this. And especially this year, because we kind of, you know, we're in a rhythm with our monthly events. And so we said they're are so many organizations and individuals around DC doing cool stuff, we need to start collaborating more. Um, So we do writing retreats uh, with a group out in rural Virginia. We do anniversary parties every year and bring in local artists. And we also did this summer a pilot residency program, which was really awesome.
0: Yes, and the goal of our very first episode is to help you get to know us and the inner loop. So we're going to do a little taste of each of these
1: kinds of events that we do. Up next, the residency program, Courtney. Yeah, that's right. Um, We had this past summer partnered with the Woodlawn Pope Leahy House and the Arcadia Center for Food and Sustainable Agriculture out in Northern Virginia. And they hosted writers on site for a week for writers throughout the summer. And so we'll be hearing from them and telling you more about them.
0: back we are going to start our segment on
1: the Arcadia residency Courtney yeah and we're Courtney and Rachel and let me tell you a little bit about a writer's residency that we partnered with two really awesome organizations with over the summer uh, the Woodlawn Estate and Pope Leahy House which is part of the National Trust for Historic Preservation and on-site there the Arcadia Center for sustainable food and agriculture um, so this estate is really awesome. It was gifted to by George Washington to his adopted granddaughter Nellie uh, Custis and in hopes of keeping her close by to his home estate at Mount Vernon. Um, it has a really interesting history of you know agriculture and then after it was sold after Nellie's Death, the Quakers owned and ran a free labor plantation there it was really awesome um, and then since 2010 the sites also housed the Arcadia Center which does initiatives like farm camp for students and kids um, farming program for veterans and a mobile market that serves food deserts throughout the city um, also on the estate is an American relic, a uh, Frank Lloyd Wright Usonian home that was, uh, you know, an architectural style meant to be a house that anyone could have. Um, so as you can imagine, the site is a pretty unique place for a reflection about a lot of American history and social movements. Um, so- and it's just beautiful. It is. It's absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when we approached uh, Woodlawn and Arcadia and said, "Hey, we want to we want to get writers in your space," they were super excited about it because um, there's also. A history, a part of the history of the space was a literary society back in the 1800s. So they were really excited about getting more art in the space. So we uh, put out proposals and had four wonderful writers from our community submit proposals and stayed on the site for one week throughout the summer, um, working and, and being inspired by the space and then sharing their reading um, after volunteer farm sessions. So we also
0: featured them this month at our reading series event, and we are going to give you a little taste with Rachel Adams first, and then uh, Jennifer Clements. We just want to warn you, this event was recorded outside of the Colony Club in the Parkview neighborhood of D.C. We often hear sirens and helicopters overhead at our readings, but we like to think of our writers as calling out to the sounds of the city.
2: I wrote some poetry in response to, I wasn't too, I, I, truthfully I was not that moved by the sort of like landed gentry aspect of the, the history of it, although it's a beautiful and you know, amazing building. Um, I, I thought a lot about the people who were, had been enslaved there. Um, I'm, I love Frank Lloyd Wright and was very inspired by his home as well. So um, I'll read some poetry that I wrote in response to each of those uh, segments of the the spot that I mentioned. So, this first one is called Tectonic. Um, Pope Leahy House, Alexandria, Virginia. The carved out highway, hemmed on either side by upturned earth and thrumming with a grinding sound, folds against us like the forearm of the wind, curving along the house's southeast slope buffeting its scimitar garden, its cypress panels, its brick the color of a forest path. But here in the magnolia shade, there is a silence dangling, and the house is a mobile suspended above the ground, revolving as the shadows revolve. We stand under the low ceiling that forms the entranceway, its hands close above our heads. And know that the house is older than the hill, as old as the air that moves around it, that has blown up from the river, the air that hides in clay and sandstone, smoothing the landscape. Anchor and Cave, um, Enslaved People's Quarters, Woodlawn Plantation, 1820. We lay side by side in the heat, in the night's palm, the dried sweat of day thick upon our chests, like sap that hardens inside the dry grooves of sugar maple. This attic room is folded like a cowbird's wing, and outside, the August air licks the roof's back, hard, moving damp and slow along the grass of the rear garden through cotton-choked fields and to the river, where the sycamores peer above the boxwoods, where the leaves have eyes. My husband shifts his body against the ropes of the bed. I think I see my own feet, he'd told me, wiping his chin, more than anyone's faces, carrying things up and down all those stairs. He'd tripped once with a full tray, cracked his collarbone, scattered a pork stew across the foyer. And everything slowed for a moment. And our mistress scowled, slight, a line forming in between her eyebrows, and called, Henry, can't you wash yourself? And I stopped folding the embroidered tablecloth, looked up, looked at them both, and thought of the hot night in the attic, in that cave, when I would press my leg against his, lay my hand between his neck and shoulder, broken below the skin, pulsing like the flicker of a star. In Light, Quaker Meeting House, Woodlawn, Virginia, 1848. We build this meeting house in the filtering light that trembles in us all, that fills our hands We know the space between us is part void, part earth, wooden beams stacked beside a field, part field. We know that speaking is asking silence for time, standing beneath a linden tree in sun. Thank you.
3: Um, just to echo what Rachel already said thank you to the inner loop and thank you to the folks at Woodlawn and Arcadia and the Pope Leahy House Um, it was really amazing to spend a week just listening to the different ghosts of those places Um, and whereas Rachel seems to have spent a lot of time outside I was I was in the mansion for the better part of the week um, listening to the floorboards leaning against the walls and um, letting the space sort of dictate where the conversation of the writing went um and i ended up focusing primarily on uh, a specific item of needlework that is down by one of the fireplaces it's a fire screen that was embroidered by uh, nelly and um, in short her story is the narrative of a urban girl who was brought out to the country and left to do very little um, so she was bored and her Creativity, her, her needlework, the the bookmarks that she embroidered and sent to all of her friends came from that want to do something and want to engage. Um, so I was playing with that as metaphor for different manners of you know a woman's roles and creativity within constraint. And this uh, sequence of poems that I'll read for you tonight um, came from that. Uh, this is called the needlework variations. First variation. Every stitch shall be counted. Woven histories like petticoat folds beneath your muslin gown. We are meant for making. Spill your words, a sampler, a grammar, a craftsmanship of letters cousin to embroidery or filigree or plain work or painting. Is it a feminine trait to absorb and reshape, to ornament the world, not in beauty, but in meaning and constraint? to dispatch parts of self enveloped to others, and like colonial children, three of every seven fail to thrive. We do this for those that may endure. Second variation, every stitch shall be counted, so obsess. It is a woman's work arranging like daffodils or constellations, fallacious shade and shadow. What forms a thread but fiber and care? What forms a fiber but proof of a life? A cotton bud, a lamb's mottled fleece, or worm-spun silk, or you? So embroider. It is a woman's work to layer new life upon the old, a woman's body constructed for its own remaking. Everything cloaks its meaning in something else. We call this beauty, or symbol, or preservation. And what forms a word but a thread spun of letters? What forms a letter but proof of a hand? Are these words threads? Are these threads words? Pigmented, pinpricked, I have remade and sent myself to you. Look now, your fingertips smeared thick with ink and blood. Third variation. Every stitch shall be counted. Thread made things in female governed spaces, harpsichord, piano, bracelets beaded in seed small glass, these hands intractable makers, conductors of string. Look, a fire screen. Its basket of flowers, tactile and scentless, save the memory of berries vociferous pigment dreams, stitches the age of a nation It was blue once, the way a song tethers memory, the thread song is blue Yellows deepened to ochre, whites dusted to grey, still blue is most willing to fade As though a lesson on age, or sunlight Each thread traces a different path, counting only its own rows. They may take years to complete. I have stitched without planning. It has landed me here, yet always there is a design. Thread will not ask its reason, its pattern, but like a good skeptic, I do. Fourth variation. Every stitch shall be counted. We have worked by candlelight for hours now. Or do I mean days? Or do I mean decades? Let us not suggest the process is delicate, a pierce, repeated through and through and through. Tell me where creation occurs without rupture. I dare you. Thimbles and revolution, obsessions of different scale, the fall and the falciform, the carmine of cochineal, your dye a siren acid. Let us not suppose women are delicate, a puncture repeated through and through and through. Tell me where creation occurs without rupture, even counted, even planned. Let us not suppose we do this only to pass the hours. I am this thread and tapestry needle, the wounded fabric, the loveliest and most colorful carnations or daffodils tattooed on me as uh, as once stitched upon muslin. Thank you.
1: That was Rachel Adams and Jennifer Clements reading from work inspired by their residency, their summer residency at the Woodlawn Estate and Arcadia Center for Sustainable Food and Agriculture.
0: Coming up next, rapid fire readings from Inner Loop veterans.
1: Gather, <laughs> gather, boy. um, you can gather
4: in. Gather
1: round,
0: gather round for the second half, and we're gonna get started. We're gonna get started. We're gonna get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing you this time.
1: Uh, Rachel and I started the Interloop Literary Reading Series and Writers Community back in April of 2014. So at this point, we've had three anniversary parties,
0: <laughs> and at the anniversary parties, instead of doing our normal lineup, um, we do a special edition yes. where we ask our veteran writers to come back and do um, rapid readings of two-minute pieces, and they read back to back to back, and you get a nice like overview of what the year has been
1: like yeah the taste and flavor of the writers around (laughs) throughout the year so uh we've collected a few of those pieces yes Uh, we have well yeah all of them that we're gonna (laughs) (laughs) that would be a lot that would be like 30
0: yeah 30 readings but Um, we have five (laughs) (laughs) for you to listen to Um, so let's have a listen
5: When the model's robe hits the floor, he is facing away from me. All I can see is his back, an expanse of rusty body hair, the points of his elbows, and his surprisingly compact behind that almost disappears as he sits on it. But I can also see the faces across the room, the wide eyes flicking immediately to his midsection, looking first at what is usually seen last. Every five minutes, he rotates a quarter turn, and 10 minutes into our session, I am faced with his bristly chest, his hanging stomach, and what sits immediately beneath it, his enormous penis. I blink and look away at his arm, at the clay arm I'm pretending to work on. I don't want the people across the room to assess my face the way I had assessed theirs, but most of all, I don't want to blush. But God, it's huge. It lies like a sultan on a fleshy satin cushion, and as the afternoon passes, it relaxes and unbelievably uncoils further. <laughs> Break is called, the model puts on his robe and his flip flops, and the class flees to the hall and the steps outside. There, in clusters of two and three, they whisper. Those who are alone flip open their cell phones all look furtively back at the art room as they describe the naked body of the man they have been looking at for the last half hour, their tones ranging from scorn to fascination. I hold myself apart from these conversations, keeping my words to myself. I don't want to talk about what I have seen, especially with strangers. I don't want to feel like I have to talk about it. It was a naked man, no more, no less. But later that day, during a longer break, when the rest of the students leave to buy a sandwich or a cup of coffee, I pull out my cell phone and make my own call.
6: Burial. The dead bee on my windowsill is frozen in attack position. As if by finding a crack with its barb, it could have rejoined the world. I scoop the bee up, hold it closer. One wing's gone and a splotch from her sunny mane, which endears her to me more drawn as I am to the disintegrating. O bee, I see now bees are guardian angels for the allergic stung. To find a dead bee is a blessing, a reminder that a sting's red swell is really the self's toxin exiting the heart through the skin. What luck, dear bee! I'm trying lately to believe that on the days I feel something sinking down on me like a harpoon zeppelin, a sheet of cosmic glass. It is not my father's God come to crush me, but a word I use to pray myself into a new hour. It feels wrong to toss you out, B. One mustn't trash the dead. I never forgive myself. So... Let's rest you here on the floor where, maybe tomorrow when I stop blind downstairs, I'll find you eaten by one of the mice that come out at night, find you devoured. How I see a soul is loosed, reborn a new sun in a deeper, wilder black.
4: When the rain rolls in, fat and warm like a purring wet cat, I smell the same scent, my mother's scotch-guarded trench coat. Heavy drops beating up on the sleeves, and the orange and brown plaid lining, blanket thick, sopping up the moisture. She was brand loyal. Some things were just the best, like London fog for humid Mississippi rain drenching an October day when you didn't want to go to the store but had six mouths to feed anyway. Even now, that warm breath, muddy wetness brings her to me, years after our last word. I see her pulling grocery sacks out of the car, through the rain, and into the garage, brown paper sagging to hold cans of condensed soup. I smell and see my sisters, too, our skinny bodies enveloped in little London fogs. Our mother picked them up at Goodwill, or yard sales, like new, just then outgrown by other little girls. We are warm in these sturdy coats as we wait for the carpool. Some Januarys, southern cold in the spongy wet yard, we run and flap our coat wings, huffing our long warm air out into the chill, like we are dragons, like puff, like figment, all pink and purple and navy, our plaid linings flapping light lion underbellies. As the sedan pulls up, we turn to the window and see our mother's frosted hair, one hand lifted to it, one hand lifting to us.
7: Um, A spring poem, Squatter. You, like me, out in the open, right now and here, where it feels as if we both have all the air and sky and sun we could possibly want. I had a nest living in my hanging plant, and you, like me, like that plant's bird one spring. The mother bird flew in each piece of string, branch, even a receipt and shiny gum wrapper to build the damn thing. I could not walk out my door without ducking and running. When with claws and beak and feet you build your own house, you are protective of it. You squawk at passersby and let no one turn their backs. You let them know this place is yours now, these three precious eggs you've laid. You vow to see through until it's all over until they hatch. And only then, when the fledglings await to match their flight with yours, you will take apart that nest you so meticulously built with all its tiny parts. You will be perfect in your quiet skill and caring. You will leave no trace that you have built anything.
8: On Mondays and Wednesdays, Ms. Pauline sits on the front porch of her D.C. row house and counts the number of white people who speak to her. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, she sits right on that porch and counts the number of white people who don't speak at all, don't even acknowledge her wave. On Fridays, she counts the number of big-ass dogs she sees being walked or jogged by their owners to that new dog park, which had its official ribbon cutting three months ago. Today is Tuesday. She's already at three people who haven't said a mumbling word. Ms. Pauline sits on her glider until her husband Johnny gets home from work. It is then that she goes inside, takes out whatever is cooking from the oven, and recaps her day. She puts plates on the table and details all the white people who pass without answering her hello, pours sweet tea and acknowledges those who at least smiled as they push strollers, sits down, waits until her husband has finished Grace, then continues questioning this time, and those dogs, why are they so big? And what the hell's a dog park? Leave those people alone, Johnny says, every time, like he can't understand, because he doesn't. Johnny's people are from North Carolina. Well, Miss Pauline's are too, but her people got to Washington, D.C. in the early 1900s when they were segregated and relegated to certain neighborhoods and schools until they finally received the entire city by default. She was there when they couldn't go into certain stores, and when U Street, their black Broadway, jumped in jazz. Johnny, however, was the first in his family to arrive to the city as a freshman at Howard in 1964. Miss Pauline doesn't know about the country, just what comes from it. The collards and ham hocks, healing remedies that call for heavy doses of vinegar, the work ethic that propelled families to middle class life. Her hands know nothing about the dirt that not only gets under your fingernails, but into your blood. Her hands are accustomed to the hardness of metal and steel. Her feet only know concrete. Her ears recognize sirens before they do birds. Her heart is all over this city and its secret spots, the uptown streets, Georgetown shops, the closed nightclubs, the theaters that have shuttered and the trolley tracks that have been paved over. She has left a sliver of herself in every quadrant because this is her city, her chocolate city, or at least it was.
1: You just heard Randon Billings Noble, FM Stringer, Diana Smith-Bolton, Tu Win, and Diana Vega reading flash pieces at the Inner Loop anniversary events. And
0: if you especially enjoyed that last one, you're in luck because Diana Vega is joining us uh, right after the break to discuss her next piece called Summertime. Rachel here, and joining us in the studio, a Spellman woman, a DC resident, and a freelance writer, Diana Vega. Her short stories, Summertime and Neighborhood Watch, have been published in Politics and Prose, District Lines Anthology, Volume 1 and 2, and she was the 2013 Go On Girl, Unpublished Writer Award winner. She was also accepted into the inaugural class of the Kimbilio Center for African American Fiction Fellowship. And in her downtime, she is a stoley drinker, a chicken fryer, and a slight out- outcast tour groupie. <laughs> Welcome, sure. Diana.
8: Hello. Thank you. Thanks
0: for coming on the <laughs> yeah. show. Thank Great you. I'm you. so excited to be here. Thank Great. Great. you. We're so excited to have you. Yay. We just heard Diana's flash piece at our anniversary party, and now she's going to read Summertime for us in the studio. Yes. Are you excited? Are you I am. I'm very
8: <laughs> excited. Good. Um, whenever, you're, whenever you're ready, you can get started. Oh, you want me to? Okay. <laughs> okay, summertime. Miss Angie swings her hips through the bar almost every night around 7 o'clock. It's like she has some psychic powers because she always arrives in the doorway just in time to bump into the after work just passing through crowd, make her way to the bar and claim an empty seat before all the ugl- other regulars settle in beside her. Tonight doesn't seem any different because it's 7.02 and here comes Miss Angie. But tonight it's so hot it feels like the devil is doing push-ups outside i've been around the world and back on a boat compliments of uncle sam and one thing i know for certain is there ain't nothing like a dc summer even after the sun goes down the air is still thick seems to hang so low it touches the top of your head and grazes your cheek and on top of that our ac broke down last night thankfully at the end of my shift i thought they closed the bar i mean who would drink liquor in this heat but when I called this morning, the owner said, course we open. And the 40 years I've owned elevators at Petworth, I've only closed down Christmas and Easter. And that's only because I don't think it would be right to be drinking on the days Jesus was born and rose up again. But any other day, we open. So now I'm here behind the bar, sweating my butt off, trying to catch a breeze from one of the three fans that just pushing hot air from one corner to the other and watching Miss Angie as she comes through the heavy oak door. She's a tiny thing, maybe a buck 20 soaking wet. Tonight she's in her two-short skirt, skirt. This one is silver with little sequins that almost blind you when the light hits. Her white t-shirt cut real low with the best of her breasts pushed to the top. Barely covers her stomach so you can see it wrinkled and folded over her hips. She's wearing her usual metallic high heels that add about four inches to her small frame. And tonight she's chosen the short, blondish-colored wig. I have Miss Angie's usual, a Bombay Sapphire gin and tonic, easy on the ice, Sugar, on the bar, before she even sits down. Not yet, Sugar, she says. I'm singing tonight. Wednesday is karaoke night, and every Wednesday, Miss Angie comes in and says she's singing. Then she'll say, give me a shot of courage first, Terence,' and I'll pour her a little something, and then another, and another, I ain't heard her sing yet, and I've been working here over two years. I'm wanting to sing, Terrence. I already put my name on the list. You know I used to sing, don't you? Miss Angie asks me now and pushes the drink away. Yes, yes, Miss Angie. I know what she's going to say before it's even out of her mouth. It was a good story the first time I heard it. I used to be what they call a session singer, did backup for lots of big-time artists, you name them, I sang with them, Stevie, Aretha, The Elements, Luther, but I was good enough to sing lead now, make no mistake. I was classically trained by the best, Miss Lucille Winters, who didn't just take anybody. Back then, she was the only vocal teacher for black folks, so you know she worked with the best. Miss Angie had shared my first week on the job. She was about three drinks in real drinks cuz i make them strong it's the only way i know how I was new to bartending, hadn't yet learned that 90% of it is listening and keeping your mouth shut. So I asked, oh really? I Like all of those artists, who was your favorite? Miss Angie dismissed me. You know I sang the chorus for Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff's Summertime. Yep, 1991. I was 30 years old, living in New York. I got the call from my manager that they needed someone in the next couple hours, and when I do it for two grand... "'and rent was due to? Shoot, I was there. "'It was the simplest thing to sing, no range, same tone, "'didn't even get to do any vocal tricks. "'I barely let out an O.' Who knew they'd be playing that song every year from Memorial Day to Labor Day with everyone singing along, and all I got was a measly $2,000. Seemed like so much money back then. And then a little while ago I read an article in Ebony Magazine. Or was it Jet? Because you know they're pretty much the same anyway. Jazzy Jeff said he couldn't remember who sang the hook, that it was just some session singer. I almost had the nerve to write in and say Miss Angelina Worthington isn't some session singer. But who would believe me, Miss Angie said as she brought her Bombay and tonic to her lips. I'm singing tonight, sugar, she says. She doesn't look at me when she says this, more looks past me into her own world, where only music is allowed. I can't imagine what could have happened today, because seems like in this heat, you just leave folks alone. But I've never seen her this way, so determined, so present. Wonder if anyone here has. Miss Angie gets real quiet and watches the stage where some girl is stumbling through I will survive. Shameful, Miss Angie mutters. Then Mr. Williams goes to sing his standard Marvin Gaye's Distant Lover. And the whole time Miss Angie's just sitting there, like she don't feel this sticky heat that's clinging to every single body part with nothing to drink, tapping her long neon pink fingernails on the bar. The DJ calls Miss Angela Worthington is our next performer tonight. People turn their heads all over the place and mutter to one another until Miss Angie rises from her stool and makes her way to the stage. Miss Jenkins leans into her husband and says, oh, he was talking about peaches. Miss Angie heads towards the stage, but this time her walk is different. Her hips don't swing hard like usual. No, this walk is more deliberate, like a queen approaching her th- throne. She takes the microphone from the DJ, brings it to her mouth, and says, Testing, one, two, testing. Good evening, y'all. She smiles. And then she stops like she wants to say something else, like she's Diana Ross, and wants to thank her fans for coming tonight. But she turns to the DJ instead. You ready? Ready? And then she closes her eyes, tilts her head back, brings it forward, and waits. The music starts, and even though it's karaoke, the first few notes are still recognizable. A whirlwind of strings, and then the voice, Miss Angie's, round and smooth as the words to the signature Porgy and Best song unwind like gold silk off a spool. Summertime and the living is easy. Somebody hollers out, yes, Lord. But Miss Sandy doesn't acknowledge, doesn't move. With eyes still closed as the notes dance off the tip of her tongue, her voice lifts the song higher until it hits every corner of the bar and cleans dust out the corners. As the song moves towards the middle, the voice takes the shape of butter dipped in honey poured slowly over Sunday morning biscuit. So delicious and sweet, it's dizzying. The room goes still, and for the first time, you can really feel a breeze, but no one seems to notice or care. Instead, everyone is holding their breath, enjoying the ride of Miss Angie's voice as it loops, dives, spreads its wings, and takes everyone to the sky. When she gets to the end, she holds that last note so long it feels like she's going to take all the smuggy air with her, swallow it whole, and cool the entire place down. The music ends and the voice stops just as easily as it began. And Miss Angie is gone, off the stage, down the aisle, and out of the door, this one time drunk off applause and admiration, a ball of shine and glitter like a shooting star finding her place in the summer night.
1: I love that piece. <laughs> I do too. Thank you guys. <laughs> I've heard you read it a couple of times now, and every time I still get chills. Like Thank you. It is it's amazing. You.
8: you can just
5: feel DC.
1: <laughs> and then
8: mugginess, the heat, yeah. all of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the way you describe her voice is mm-hmm. like really impressive. Thank you. So tell us about the story. What and what inspired the piece? <laughs>
8: Well, it was a few things. I used to go um, to a bar on U Street. Uh, Can I say, I can say the name? Well, it's closed now, so it doesn't matter. Um, It's called The Islander. Oh, I've been to that bar. (laughs) Yeah, so it was, uh, this is, I guess D.C. was kind of in the midst of, like, gentrifying and this place was really DC like you would go in people knew each other that grown up together that raised their kids together Um, and they used to have a karaoke night and this woman would come in just like Miss Angie like inappropriately dressed she was like over 50 (laughs) and she would get really drunk and but she couldn't sing but I wanted to use like that like the bar and the camaraderie kind of as the as the setting and then I used her as a character but I wanted my character to be able to sing so I changed that
0: I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so did you grow up in D.C.?
8: I'm from Silver Spring, which is 10 minutes from, you know, D.C. And then my church is in D.C. and Northwest. So I spent a lot of time. And then, um, you know, as a teen in the city, like going to Go-Go's and, and growing up and kind of like. I guess we didn't, I guess we knew that D.C. was dangerous and putting that in air quotes no, it was pretty bad actually. Um, <laughs> uh, the crack era and everything. Um, but it was still home and it was, uh, and it was really Chocolate City. So I don't know anything else really. Yeah, so, and you got to experience the
1: go-go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
8: the high schools would have go-go's, and then there would be go-go clubs around the city, and we would go. You'd go. be out to like, 2 in the morning. But you're only 16, so it's kind of crazy
0: <laughs> think about it. So has D.C. changed at all? Yes, it has. <laughs> um, so,
8: uh,
0: yeah, it question. has changed
8: a lot. I mean, there's... I think there's still elements of I'm not an, obviously like not a native Washingtonian and my family's not from here so I don't have like a lot of backstory per se, but when I was buying my house, my realtor is a na- native Washingtonian and she would take me past places and say like, mm-hmm. oh Ellington was here or she would could remi- she had worked at Bohemian Caverns like mm-hmm. in the 60s and she knew. And that just close too. Yeah, that close. Yeah. She know. knew yeah. like Ben's yep. Chili Bowl before it got started and so she had all these great stories and um, the city has changed a lot now, you know, whether it's for better or for worse is up for debate, but it's different. Mm-hmm. So, um, this piece, how hard was it to write? (laughs) Since we have
1: to talk about the literature.
8: (laughs) Well, I take a long time to write. Sometimes. You and me both,
1: girl.
8: (laughs) Same here. I will carry a story with me. So I I had the story. I had the woman. I had the bar. And I remember asking my friend, whose point of view should I tell it from? She said the bartender. So I had that piece. And I knew I wanted her to sing a song, and I read and and then so I just carried the story around for a long time, and I actually read an article with DJ Jazzy Jeff where he said I don't. It was like the twentieth anniversary of the song or something, and he was like I don't know who sang it. It was a session singer, and I was like Oh my. my my lady in the story i hadn't written anything she's "She's gonna sing that's perfect and then um i think one day i just kind of made myself like sit down and write it out and as i wrote it like all the pieces just kind of came together
0: and Mm -hmm. so did you not have to do much editing after that
8: no i didn't because i had carried it around which is kind of the good and the bad i guess i I love
1: that expression though i totally know what you mean when when you say I carried the story around. Yeah,
8: you know, like Edward P. Jones said he wrote The Known World in his head for like 10 years. I'm not obviously a genius like (laughs) he is. Sure you are. (laughs) But I do understand that, you know, you carry your characters and the stories and then something happens and you say, I'm going to put that in my story. And people probably would think you're crazy, but you're like, no, I'm building this whole world. Okay? <laughs> it's there. It's all in here. Come yeah. It's going to come out <laughs> one day. Mm-hmm. So what about the publishing
0: then after you got it nice and hammered out? um, So the
8: publishing, I I think I wrote it. Oh, I must have maybe seen that d- the district lines was looking for submissions, and I think that's kind of what spurred me to finish, because I was like, oh, I have a great DC story, I just have to finish Motivation. it. Motivation, <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> so I wrote it, and then I submitted it. So it didn't take long in terms of getting it published. Um, but it did I did have it in my head for at least two years a couple of years
0: well okay. this is a terrible example of the writing process <laughs> <laughs> you're know, like it didn't take any editing and <laughs> I didn't have to shop it around at all it
1: was just you know magically wonderful <laughs> and ready for publication <laughs> how it yeah, always it's is done. but then it's bad because
8: it's such you up for fa- not failure but, but then you know you are going to get rejected trust me I have yeah. sent other stories out in the world and they're like no no this is not the one. So it happens.
1: So. <laughs> well, this one clearly
0: was. So thank you, thank you for sharing it with You're us. So well, so. And thanks for joining us to talk to us about it. Thank you for having me. It's of so great to have you. And when we come back, we're going to do a little something from our retreats. Yeah, <laughs> we
1: are. <laughs> um, we're going to read from an exquisite corpse that we created or a few of them. And uh, if y'all don't know what that is, well, stay tuned and find out.
0: We are going to wrap up our show this afternoon with a dramatic reading.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, Rachel and Courtney here, and um, this reading is from a retreat that we hosted uh, last year uh, in Virginia, and uh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so just to give a little background, because
0: these are going to be very weird. Um, they came from Exquisite Corpses, which what, which is a, a writing game where a bunch of writers get together. With a bottle of whiskey or three. Maybe. <laughs> um, and each writer writes one line of the story. And the catch is that you can't read anything that came before. Except for the, the very immediate line. The very previous line. Yeah. So you have to sort of get an idea of what the story is from one line and then take the story to the next place. So you come up with some very strange (laughs) stories, but we had a great time, and we wanted to share these with you. So I'm gonna start with, um, I have a title and a style. Right. Um, So this one is called Small Batch Murder. (laughs) (laughs) In the style of Noir. (laughs) When the dame walked into my office, I should have known she'd be trouble. Her hair was parted on the left swept beside a half-open eye damn mosquitoes she belted (laughs) 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 but when she looked down the blood came steadily and her heart beat her into a panic Sonny's not coming, she thought. Sonny's not <laughs> coming, and neither is anybody else. I'll bleed out right here, right here on the floor of this two-bit soda shop in, in this good-for-nothing town. But not before I find the sleazy SOB who dealt this fatal wound. She crawled to the phone box, her gimlet still in her hand. With her last ounce of strength, she dialed the number and said, Murder! It was a small-batch murder! <laughs>
1: Oh, man, that was a good one. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you had to be there a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I think it translates. Um, The second one is is entitled This is Witch, and the genre is poetry, and so it's actually a little bit more serious. We were kind of proud of this. Definitely. Your name spoken fills the room like falling pans. They crash like piano keys against my palm, but that Damn F-sharp never sounds right, like the call of a bird buried underground, like hymns, like playing, like Maisie's mumbled sound, pounding drums and searing ears, the pavement falls away, which in a way is where it was meant to begin, back at the beginning, here at the start, before we knew better, before we knew original sin, this in which it all went up in smoke and heavy. (laughs) wow so that's our show thanks for joining us we're leaving it
0: on that heavy note (laughs)
1: Um, yeah
0: join us next month we'll be here again and if you'd like to find out more about us please visit us online at www.theinnerlooplit.com and we at the Inner Loop would like to thank Tacoma Radio for their support in the beginning, Andrew Logan for our theme music, Mark Buck Skimper for our logo, and James Skinner for our technical support. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy writing.
1: <laughs> right on, Litwitz. <laughs>